Lord and Father, again, we thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ, like minds who are animated by the same truths that we are, by the grace of the gospel, and who are really pursuing a kingdom work across this globe. We are we're humbled by them, we're grateful for them, we're taught by them, and we're just we're glad that Stephen could be here this morning. And do ask that as he preaches now, you would give him that great confidence, that freedom, that liberty that comes from sharing the words of truth that we so desperately need to hear. So be with him as he preaches, be with us as we listen. Would this time be uh, powerful both to bring glory to you and good to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. How beautiful the feet of those that bring good news. Thank you for bringing the gospel to Cambodia. Uh, on the front lines of Cambodia, my colleagues, Tim Amstutz and Nereth, would you please stand, the two of you? You may know these friends. <laughs> They're representing all their colleagues in Cambodia, and it is together with you and other churches in the United States that the gospel is um, shining forth in a beautiful country. The colleagues, my colleagues on the front line of Baltimore and Washington, D.C., Kristen Titzel and Nancy Green, would you stand? It was Nancy Green and Matt Stone and your pastor and others who went out to Cambodia just a couple years ago now. So thank you. And the front lines of our home, my wife, Belinda, and my two sons, Joshua and Caleb. (laughs) I want to recognize, too, a friend, a statesman, and a lover of Jesus, Admiral Tim Zemer and his wife, Jody. Tim, are you here in this service? There. No? Somewhere. Tim is the former CEO of World Belief. When he got a call from the White House, Tim called me. And so I made a move up to um, Baltimore from Rwanda, where I was living, and the rest is history. It's an honor to be with you today. Thank you. And it's uh, glorious to celebrate making all things new, your theme. Let me turn to the Gospel of Luke, page 863 in the Pew Bible, Luke 7, and it's on 863 down the um, lower right-hand corner. I'm going to actually start from verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And then, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? In that hour, Jesus had healed many people of disease and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Jesus answered them, Go, tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And he blessed, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the word of the Lord. 
our faith, our faith is tested most in the face of suffering. Just a couple years ago, I was in a different position in what believe, so I went down to the earthquake just a few hours after that fated day, January 12th or 13th, 2010. And I've been doing this for a long time, relief and development and in some of the toughest spots of the world and war zones. And um, I've never seen anything like this in Haiti. The number of people, the children crushed by concrete. And I was texting back and forth to my wife and my kids. And I remember coming back and my son Joshua, who's here, he was 10 then. He said, Dad, how could God let all those people die? And wasn't Haiti the country that was the poorest in this hemisphere and hanging by a thread? How could God do that? Our faith is tested most in the face of suffering. Well, John the Baptist, who, who of, of John the Baptist, Jesus said, there is no greater man born of a woman. He is now in prison because he spoke truth to Herod the king. And Herod, through his wife and his daughter, decided, well, we're going to imprison him and take off his head, put it on a platter. John knows his fate. He's in the midst. He's facing suffering. He sends two of his disciples to Jesus, who he grew up with, perhaps his closest friend. And they say, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Or should we perhaps possibly be looking for someone else? Even John the Baptist questions his faith in the face of suffering. Maybe you as well. The wounds of the world. Turn on the newscast. Or maybe it's closer to home. Maybe it's a relationship that's not working. Marriage, your child is in danger, your child is walking in a different direction. Maybe it's just confusion. You, you thought God said this, but it's not happening. And you cry out and you pray to God and it's silence. Have you ever asked that question? Are you, oh God, are you the one? I, I thought in the face of suffering, our faith is tested most. Are you the one? I was asking this question late last year because I came across this text. Somebody gave it to me. Stephen, you ought to go deep into this text. And I don't preach every week like you're a pastor, so I've got more time to dig deeply. So I was wrestling with this text, and I was, happened to be out in the west part of our country. Almost, by the way, as good as Scotland. <laughs> Almost. I'm, on your, I'm in your house. I'm not going to say it's better than Scotland. The locks of Scotland. Oh. But the west, okay, the snow had just come on the mountains. The uh, aspen trees had just turned golden yellow fire. Beautiful. And I was speaking at an auditorium in a university. I remember walking up to the auditorium and seeing the longboards flipped up, wheels up. You know, beards and stocking hats. They look so young. (laughs) 
And after the service, after the, the time that I spoke, I remember looking at my watch because I had to do a conference call, and usually I'm a little bit late, so I thought, i got to make that conference call at noon. But I had a few moments to speak to some students, and after that, I went over to Belinda where she was talking to a woman probably in her mid-30s. And Belinda, if you get to know her, she talks with her hands, so, you know, it's hard to break into her conversation. She's just going and going, hello. And I leaned into the conversation to tell Belinda I was going to go to the car to take the conference call. And I noticed this woman. And I said something that I I rarely have ever said. I don't don't think I've ever said it except to Belinda. And I would never say it if Belinda wasn't present. I looked at her, and her face caught me. And I said, you have a beautiful face. And then I left. (laughs) Weird. Okay. (laughs) I figured Belinda would fix any sort of awkwardness that I created. (laughs) She does that on a regular basis. Out in the car, in the conference call, Belinda comes 30 minutes later. She sits down. She says, Stephen, do you know what you did to that lady? Do you know what you did to that woman when you said those words? I said, well, what did I say? She said, you told her you had a beautiful beautiful face. I said, okay. She said, after you said those words, she slumped over and began to heave and sob. I said, wow. When she could gather herself together, she told Belinda her story. When I was nine years old, I was in a fire. 85% of my body was burned. Belinda then, only then noticed she had scars right behind her ear. Belinda had her hand on her shoulder. She could feel the scars through her sweater. By the time I was age 11, she said, I had so many surgeries I couldn't even count them. And my mom met with the doctor, and the doctor said, there's no more skin to graft. We're worried about your daughter. We're worried she might not be able to make it after two years of surgeries. You need to prepare yourself, he was saying to her mom. So her mom gathered her courage and her strength to go tell now her daughter, who's age 11, who's in the hospital room, honey, the doctors are saying this. Imagine that conversation with your daughter. The doctors are saying there's no more skin to graft. The doctors are worried about what's going to happen next. And she says, don't worry, mom. (laughs) He's telling this story through Belinda to me in the car now. Don't worry, mom. Jesus came to visit me today. Oh, <laughs> Belinda says. Jesus came to visit me today. He sat on the end of my bed and he said, you're going to live and you're going to have a life and you're going to have children. And you know what Jesus said to me? He said, I would have a beautiful face. I said to myself in my heart, oh God, I've seen you now to this. I've seen you today. And I had a stack full, just like you do, a, a list of things that you're struggling with, the work things, the this, the, the problems here, the issues there, the problems around the world. I have a whole list. But I saw Jesus here in that moment. And I said, if Jesus is here in this moment for that little girl, if he cares that deeply to use a tall white guy from halfway around the world in an awkward moment... He cares about this whole list here, too. He is the one. 
I have seen. Have you seen? What have you seen? What is your story? You've seen, if you've lived with Jesus, you've seen things, and you can say, I know God did this then. This passage, this text, when John the Baptist is saying, gosh, are you the one? I see three things here. First, I see a surprising group of people in this text. A surprising group of people. Your pastor began, we're a ragtag group coming together with all sorts of things. Wow, this is a ragtag group in this text. Secondly, a radical promise. And thirdly, a very different kind of power. Who do we see in this text? We see huh, the blind, the lame, the deaf, the sick, the dead, and the poor. Wow. A surprising group of people. But Jesus, Jesus predicted this. Luke chapter 4, he's quoting Isaiah. The Spirit of God is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Freedom for the prisoners. Sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year the Lord's favor. Why does he eat with those tax collectors and sinners? That's what people were saying in his day. Why does this church care about people halfway around the world in Cuba or Burma or Morocco or Cambodia? Why? Jesus came for those who were sick, not healthy. Cambodia, you know the story from your pastor and from Matt and many others. 1,200 cell churches, over 10,000 believers. It's a movement by the Spirit of God. Narek can tell you the stories. Tim can tell you these stories. So much so that they stumble into a village. And Tim was the one who was most surprised. They're saying that Jesus has changed everything in their village. Jesus or Tim sent this note across the email like, wow. Everything's changed in our village since Jesus came. And you know, people were saying that. The village leaders were saying that. And they hadn't been converted to Jesus yet. They recognize the signs of the gospel, the deeds of the gospel. Oh, they will come into the kingdom. Pray them in. They will. There's two Cambodian women, leaders from the cell church movement, who went out to a village, and they came across to home. They do this often. They're telling the story of Jesus. They're reaching out to people who are sick. Came across the woman who was lying listless on a bench underneath a home on stilts. And she began to tell them her story. I'm so sick. I have HIV AIDS. All I want to do is die. How did you get this way, they asked. Well, a long time, a number of years ago, when I was a little girl, my sister took me by the hand and she said we were going to see my aunt and uncle. But when I asked her we're going the wrong way, she said, well, mommy and daddy told me we can't keep you anymore. So her little sister took her to a brothel and sold her. For seven years, she was a slave. The worst atrocities that you can imagine. After seven years, there was a man who was so overcome with guilt that he helped her escape. Wow. Stunning. So she comes home. She lays down to die. She doesn't want to live. Until she meets these two Cambodian friends who Narette knows and trained with his colleagues and staff. 
And here's what she said, translated into English from Khmer. They shared with me about the love of God, that he can give me, my, give me life. That's why I'm still alive today. They helped me to learn to love myself again. And I know that God will not forsake me. Surprising group of people, the ones that we think God has forgotten about, it's with those people he's precisely present. And if he's precisely present with the least and the last and the lost, oh, then he's with us too. Secondly, a radical promise. He makes all things new. Your theme. We wrestle still often with word and deed. What is it? We need to emphasize proclamation, but without proclamation, what about demonstration? We get sometimes confused. Actually, Jesus kept it pretty simple. My kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you were to ask that Cambodian woman who was lying sick, if you were to ask her, well, what did Jesus do for you? Oh, he rescued my soul. He saved my heart, my soul, my spirit. He turned my life upside down. He's made me healthy again. He's given me friendship. He's put me into a community. One commentator talked about this text this way. He calls it, this is a festival of salvation. Would it be that she would say, you know what? Jesus came and he dressed himself in Cambodian skin and he raised me from the dead because I wanted to die. Now, I've met people who've raised people physically from the dead. But this is a kind of raising from the dead too. This is a radical promise, a festival of, celebra- a festival of salvation. Thirdly, a different kind of power. We haven't asked this question yet, but what did John the Baptist expect? When he was in that prison cell and he was saying, boy, I, he may not be the one. It's because he was expecting something. He was expecting, like everybody else, that Jesus would come and be a Messiah that would take political leadership and cast off the tyranny of Rome and lead the children of Israel into a sort of new day like the days of David and Solomon. But the power that we see here, first of all, it, it, it trumps political power. But it's a power made perfect in weakness, right? It's not a coercive power. It's a power from vulnerability. And oh, if Jesus were just alive to continue to do that, if it were just Jesus, go do it, because we, we don't know how. But his plan is that, no, you will receive power, Acts 1.8, the last words according to the gospel, or according to Luke You'll receive power, and you will be my witnesses. So God's plans A, B, and C, all the way through to Z, is you and me, and Nareth, and your colleagues. It's up to us. Sometimes we think power is a bad thing. Actually, power is a bad thing if it's used to destroy. Power is a good thing if it's used to create and build and restore all things. Now, here's the qualification. You can raise your hand in your heart or you can raise your hand and I'll ask you this question. Do you ever feel weak? Do you ever feel unqualified? 
you ever feel like, oh man, this is impossible? If you do, then you're on the list. You're qualified. God wants you. He wants me. Your colleagues, your friends in Cambodia, do you feel weak? Do you feel like this is, Tim, does your staff feel like, I don't know how to do this. God's doing something in our midst. In some ways, you're just following God. Power made perfect in weakness. I'll get and check out this verse. John 14, 11. Very truly, I tell to you all who are apostles and trained and have theology degrees like Reverend James will do the works I've been doing. No. All who have faith in me. If you can muster a mustard seed ounce and you can say, you, God, are the one. If you can muster that based on some something you've experienced, something you've seen or heard, then you are qualified. All who have in faith in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So whatever you ask in my name will be given to you. I will do it. Sobering. He's called us to do it. We can say what we've seen. You are the one. If you have seen anything of Jesus, then Jesus says, great, don't stop. Now take that to others so that they can say, I believe that God is the one because I've seen those two Cambodian women. Because I've seen a church in McLean do extraordinary things and they care about the world. Because I've seen people, flesh and blood, be Jesus through their eyes, through their hands, through their words, through their thoughts, through their deeds. When you've seen children who weren't supposed to die, when you meet them, when you meet little girls who are no longer trapped in slavery, when you meet whole communities that are saying, Jesus turned our village inside out, And when you tell that story and embody that story in your life, the world changes. The world changes. It's not on CNN. My son was watching CNN. I came back and I said, Joshua, no, I've seen Haitians do extraordinary things in the face of suffering. I saw very ordinary moms and dads rescue not only their own children, but the children of people they didn't know. I saw mothers cry with other mothers. I saw Jesus in the midst of the worst crisis in the last maybe 50 years. I laid awake to the singing of children in French praising God every night in Port-au-Prince. What have you seen in your life? And if you are questioning if you've seen something in your life, cannibalize somebody else's stories. Go to some of these saints here. Anybody that has gray hair, I'm on my way, you can tell. Ask them what you have seen. Some of the greatest stories in any church are right here in these pews. What has God shown you? I need your faith so I can take it to the world so that I can 
unequivocally, with full resolve, with full passion and energy and fire of soul, say, you are the one and you will restore all things. Amen. Thank you, friends, who are on the front lines of Cambodia and Baltimore and D.C. Let's pray. Father, you are the one. We love you because you care about a little girl, age 11, who's ran out of skin to graft. We love you because you care about a woman who is seven years a slave, and you rescued her, and you love her. We praise you because you care about our own stories, our children who are struggling, our jobs that are faltering. You care about our marriages. You care about this church. You care about the confusion that we sometimes have, the depression that we slip into, because you are the one, and we have seen what you have done And though it be not on CNN, we know it in the stories and the lives of our friends and the faithful, the church. And though it be broken so often, we also know the stories, the outrageous stories of love, of restoration. And so we love you and we commit our hearts and our lives to you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.